You're listening to Yes to Employment, a podcast series that seeks to improve competitive integrated employment outcomes for transition-aged youth and young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Today, the Yes Center's Dale Verstegen, Sean Roy, and Laura Owens fan out across the Partnerships in Employment states for a five-year retrospective on the PIE state projects. We put four questions to each team. Number one, why did your state apply for a PIE grant? Two, what was the role of your consortium during your PIE project, and how will it continue after the grant period ends? Three, what did you learn that would be valuable for other states to know? And four, what are you most proud of as a result of your PIE program? So today, we talk with... Rebecca Ceylon. I'm with the State Office of Policy Planning and Innovation at the DC Department on Disability Services, and I've been part of the PI grant from the beginning. And I'm Montreal, Tennessee. I'm the project manager uh, for the PI grant. Uh, here we call it DC Learners and Earners, and I also work for the State Office of Policy Planning and Innovation. I'm uh, Jeff White. I'm project director of the Kentucky Works PI grant at the Human Development Institute at the University of Kentucky. And hello, everyone. I'm Johnny Collette. I'm the deputy director at the University of Kentucky Human Development Institute. I'm Margaret Van Gelder. I work as the statewide director of family and employment support at the Massachusetts Department of Developmental Services and have been the project lead for the Mass Partnership for Transition to Employment. And hi, I'm David Hoff with the Institute for Community Inclusion at UMass Boston. I have coordinated the technical assistance support um, for our Massachusetts project. My name is Sandy Jordan, and I am the Director of Employment Programs at ABLE South Carolina. I'm Kelly Hess, and I am with the Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice at Utah State University, and I'm the Utah School to Work Project Coordinator. And I'm Trisha Jones-Parkin, and I also work for the Institute on Disability Research Policy and Practice, and we're at Utah State University, and um, I'm the project director for the Partnership and Employment Systems Change Grant. This Yes Center five-year retrospective is in two parts. In part one, we talk with the District of Columbia, Kentucky, and Massachusetts. In part two, we hear from South Carolina and Utah. You can find the other installment of this interview series, as well as the rest of the Yes Center podcasts, at yes2employment.org slash podcast. Part one, the District of Columbia's Learners and Earners Project. Rebecca and Montrell, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and uh... And, and offering up some information as a retrospective of your work on the PI grant. Um, could you both introduce yourselves uh, in terms of uh, what, what you do and, and your role on the PI grant? Uh, I'm Rebecca Ceylon. I'm with the State Office of Policy Planning and Innovation at the DC Department on Disability Services, and I've been part of the PI grant from the beginning. And I'm Montreal, Tennessee. I'm the project manager uh, for the PI grant. Uh, here we call it DC Learners and Earners, and I also work for the State Office of Policy Planning and Innovation. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Um, what, uh, Rebecca, what were the needs or issues in DC that motivated you to apply for the PI grant? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that we acknowledge that the number of youth who are leaving school and entering day programs rather than employment was extremely troubling. Um, and we knew that it wasn't an issue that could be addressed by any one system. So we, um, we wanted to bring together the dis different systems that could support young people. We were already collaborating with families and people with disabilities and most of the other systems that supported youth with disabilities. Um, and we believe that the grant and the grants resources and structure could uh, assist us in creating the systems level changes that we thought we needed and to offer us opportunities to learn from current and past PI grantees. 
So we thought it would be just a great opportunity for the district. Um, what, what has been some uh, the role of the consortium uh, that you pulled together uh, in addressing the issues or implementing the Pi Grant activities? Uh, so we have we don't have your typical consortium. We have a, a disaggregated consortium. So you know we heard from our partners um, that they didn't want any additional meetings. Um, so when they already you know kind of focused on youth and employment, there was a lot going on. Uh, Dale, you've been a part of our secondary transition to community of practice and other community of practices that we're a part of. Um, so therefore, you know, we just attended those meetings and shared the information and resources that we created through the Pi Grant. And we found that that was um, very successful because we was able to get them invested, um, wanting more, and then people would kind of engage us. So it would be we would attend those meetings and give updates, and then we would plan other meetings outside of that. So our consortium wasn't the typical one that you, you know, you see from other states, but it worked for us here in D.C. Uh, could you give an idea of just who was all part of that consortium? Because that was something I was very impressed with in terms of just the broad reach in terms of who's meeting and who's putting their heads together on some of these issues. Yeah, so everywhere from our families, um, self-advocates, um, people who are responsible for secondary transition at the school level, um, uh, the state office of uh, secondary education, um, uh, the superintendent of uh, education here, we call it ASI. Um, they're a part of our meetings and they, they allow us to um, be, be in front of a lot of people in the education space here at DC and we get to run a lot of ideas. A lot of our focus groups go to, go with our self-advocates, with our families, the uh, supporting families, community practice, the family support council. These are all groups um, that are a part of our conversations um, and they're also a, a great feedback loop. So when we're developing things like people playing together for employment, um, implementing guided group discovery, things we'll talk about a little later. It's all about getting that feedback and investment through these meetings. Um, and we get that at and, and the front end when we're starting to, to develop these projects um, and ideas. Yeah. Very impressive. I, I think that's, that's excellent that you're able to do that. Uh, uh, what has been one challenge that you've had to address when implementing your Pi Grant Systems Change activities? Yeah, as Montrell just described our consortium, that aspect of the project was incredibly time intensive. You know, it really meant being present at the meetings of all of these other groups, so the secondary transition community of practice. Um, with, there also is an employment first leadership team that brings together leadership from all of the other district agencies that have anything to do with youth and employment. Um, so we, we play a role in either reporting or coordinating um, those meetings, several family groups, um, Project Action, the, the statewide self-advocacy coalition. So, so being at all of those meetings is, is pretty time intensive because we not only want to share the activities that the DC Learners and Earners Project was doing, but to also hear from them directly about what their priorities were and what issues they were experiencing. So we, I think if we just pulled them all together in one room for you know once a month or once a quarter, we wouldn't get the depth that, that we got. So we really feel that although it was a very time intensive strategy, it was really effective as a way to, you know, for people to really know about the project and for us to know about what was happening in the city, what other initiatives we could partner with, and and especially what what challenges and barriers people might might be experiencing. So you've been at this for four plus years and uh, and 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 having a chance to work with you all, uh, you had a lot going on, a lot of different initiatives. Uh, is there something that you could highlight in terms of Pi Grant successes or activities that you thought were particularly impactful? Yeah, so to speak to it, I would say our pilot programs are very successful. So, um, Dell, as you know, um, we have we worked with Kevin Wright, who's our master trainer when it comes to people playing together for employment. Um, so we've been able to reach schools um, virtually in person. Um, changing our uh, our uh, instruction style to meet the learning styles of the youth and young adults that we get to work with. Uh, we also support it with the DSP Academy um, and, you know, tr and, and trying to help to get that implemented and, you know, making sure that it was distributed equitably, um, equitably across the, uh, the city. Um, and then finally, you know, we, we just implemented this past year 
Uh, we trained some trainers and implemented Guided Group Discovery, which was a big hit. Um, and, and thanks to Rebecca's leadership and bringing that to our one of our schools, uh, which is um, a school that focuses on a lot of students who need that extra attention when it comes to developing discovery and job development and, and, and talking about employment. So these are our pilots have been really great because they, they serve a need and they serve a need so much that they're going to continue after the project is over with. So there's already people who are looking to fund that to keep it going. Um, so this is something that's already set in stone as part of our sustainability plan. Yeah, that's something I'm really excited about is is a lot of the, not a lot, but several of the projects that you've uh, put in place really have legs and that they're, they're, they're well received uh, and it looks like they're going to be able to continue on an ongoing basis. Uh, the, the, the guided group discovery, could you just talk a little? For the folks that are listening, a little bit more about what that is about and how it works. Sure. Um, so, guided group discovery is one of the ways that discovery can be offered as kind of the first step in preparing people for customized jobs. And um, and guided group discovery is uh, a process that um, was developed by the Lead Center. Um, as a way to bring together small groups of people and to facilitate the discovery process so that the young people can learn from each other, can you know, kind of walk through the discovery process together and, and support each other in identifying what they have to offer for an employer, what types of employment situations might be a good fit for them. And they all end the project with a blueprint for employment that they can take forward um, in their job development process and, and share with their vocational rehabilitation counselor and their teachers and their family. Um, it helps them to build a support network as well so that as they're going through the process, they identify the people in their lives who can, who can support their, their um, career exploration and, and career development. So we were very excited that, um, you know, I think Montreal opened a door to River Terrace um, within the DC public schools and they are planning to continue it and expand it. Um, so I think all, all three of the pilot projects that Montreal mentioned are, are going to continue beyond the grant project. And, and I also neglected to mention when we were talking about uh, the consortium that our approach to the consortium also is sustainable. You know, so it's not a meeting that's going to stop because these are all groups that existed and will continue to exist and, and have their own missions and DDS will continue to be involved with them. So, so there's no chance of the consortium ending with the end of, of the Pi Project because they were there before we started. Um, some of them were, were new and added during the Pi Project, but they're, you know, they're going to continue. So, you know, we feel good about that, that, that uh, you know, that the communication channels that were opened through, through DC learners and earners will continue beyond the, the Pi funding. With the guided group discovery, what I'm really excited about is that it's online and therefore who has access to it and who can develop this blueprint for, uh, to employment is really anybody. It can be the individual. Uh, it could be done through the family. The family can be taking the lead and helping and supporting their person when it comes to employment. It can be in a classroom. It has a lot of uh, uh, practical applications. And as a matter of fact, uh, the University of South Carolina adopted that that uh, that same uh, guided group discovery and put that put it online there. And of course, South Carolina is another one of our Pi grant states, so it's uh, also had some effects outside of the DC area. So thank you so much. I mean, the sustainability of of what you've been working on and the impact of the pilot projects and all that you've done with with the Pi grant. Uh, I think you. You all should pat yourselves on the back uh, and, and, and you deserve a lot of congratulations uh, for all that hard work. And Montrell, uh, your leadership in this uh, is, is not missed and, uh, and, and you've done just a remarkable job. So uh, congratulations to both of you and uh, 
and and look forward to more great things coming out of this. And Dale, we appreciate your support of our work as well. Thanks. Part two, Kentucky's Kentucky Works Project. All right, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Sean Roy. I am with the Youth Employment Solutions Center and I serve primarily as the state liaison to the states of Kentucky and Massachusetts. Uh, today we are going to be uh, talking with uh, Jeff White, the project director, um, and Johnny Collette, the deputy director of HDI. But what, uh, for, for our purposes, uh, Jeff and Johnny, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'm uh, Jeff White. I'm project director of the Kentucky Works Pi Grant at the Human Development Institute at the University of Kentucky. And hello, everyone. I'm Johnny Collette. I'm the deputy director at the University of Kentucky Human Development Institute. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff and Johnny. Well, one of the purposes, I think, of this podcast uh, is that the Partnerships and Employment Grants, or the Pi Grants, as we refer to them, are going to be coming to a close uh, here in a few months after five years of really hard work in various states. And so we wanted to talk with Jeff and Johnny to get their impressions about uh, why the Pi Grant was important and, and some of the lessons learned and, and maybe some of the key activities or resources that they wanted to point to as successes out of their efforts. So to begin with, um, I would love to hear from you guys about the original reason why the Pi Grant was written in the state of Kentucky. Um, what was the need that you saw that you thought that um, employment systems change would be needed? Well, Sean, I think that Kentucky has some pretty well-documented uh, concerns with poverty. And statistics tell us that most of the folks or a significant number of the folks in long-term poverty are folks with disabilities. And we felt like if we were going to be able to do anything to address that, that we needed to uh, start with children in school and, and try and have some inroad toward improving employment outcomes for students with disabilities uh, in general, and particularly those with significant disabilities. Um, and, you know, we have had an ongoing and, and pervasive poor employment outcome for students with disabilities and students with significant disabilities for some time. So it's been a, a big focus for us. And Johnny, you may have more to add uh, from your perspective. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's just right. You know, um, ongoing pervasive issues like you mentioned, Jeff, and really, I think, you know, let's think about this it, it, from an economic perspective that matters right from a statewide economic perspective that matters so these ongoing and pervasive poor outcomes that jeff talked about uh, presents i would say both an economic challenge and an opportunity so we are pursuing that opportunity through many avenues here uh, in kentucky uh, and at the human development institute but you know this grant uh, has been an incredible opportunity to really further those efforts. Um, you know, what are some of the numbers? Uh, it's, it's kind of staggering. You know, if we think about competitive integrated employment, which is what we're after uh, for all folks, right? Uh, including folks with disabilities, including individuals with significant disabilities. Uh, when we look at the data around that, the most recent data we have available, um, you know, we've only got about 40% of students with disabilities across any disability category. Right. So only about 40 percent of those students were competitively employed in the year after they left high school. So just this most recent year, when we look at students with significant disabilities, that percentage is 24 percent. When we dig a little bit deeper and we start thinking about those students with um, the highest support needs, those students with what we might call the most significant cognitive disabilities, only about you know 10 or 11 percent of those individuals were competitively employed a year after they left high school so when we, when we think about those with sort of the most significant uh, disabilities and highest support needs another way to think about that is about 90 out of a hundred of them are not competitively employed in the community so 
you know, that, again, uh, it, it matters because of that individual. It matters because of their families, their communities, but it also matters from a statewide perspective in terms of uh, the economic impact that this has uh, on the state and the opportunity that it presents for us. You know, the other thing that it did is that it gave us the opportunity to focus resources and, and potential solutions at the local level, uh, because clearly those who are closest to the students have a better knowledge of their needs. Uh, and at the same time, those folks at the local level sometimes needed some help to advance their good ideas and resources uh, to help them do what they know best how to do. So uh, this grant enabled Kentucky Works uh, to fill to some degree, at least, that role. Uh, excellent. And it's clear from your comments that there was a pretty strong need for this in the state of Kentucky. Um, I would say another issue that states seem to struggle with is this idea of collaboration uh, around these issues. And the one of the hallmarks of the PI grants is this uh, requirement of a state team or a consortia to help guide activities. So what has been the role of the state team in Kentucky to help uh, guide and influence the activities over the five years? Uh, you know, I think we're kind of fortunate here in that we have really, really good collaborative relationships and have had for a number of years with most of the major players. Uh, but what the PI grant enabled us to do was expand that collaboration and bring in other folks, other resources, uh, other perspectives, uh, and, and really helped us to challenge the status quo and, and begin to think about what the possibilities were. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think that's right. And that, that notion of challenging the status quo, right, is a really important one. Um, it's not like, you know, in Kentucky and even across the country, it's not like these um, poor outcomes that we see for the individuals we serve is really a new problem, right? I mean, this has been, um, uh, again, a pervasive issue, not only across Kentucky, but across the country. And that notion of challenging the status quo that Jeff mentioned um, really, really prompts me to, to, to ask the question, you know, are we going to have the courage to take on anything that stands in the way of the success we envision for those that we serve? Or are we just going to kind of continue to meet, go to conferences, and admire this problem for a few more decades, right? So I think that collaborative nature and that spirit and that awareness and that commitment in Kentucky that Jeff talked about is really important, right? I mean, as individual agencies and groups, it's great that we're getting better across our individual systems. But, you know, what we care about here is not just isolated impact, right? Uh, what we want is to, to, to sort of uh, dream about what collective impact could look like when across our agencies and organizations, uh, we work together and effectively and meaningfully on behalf of these that we um, serve. So um, I, I agree. I think it's, you know, Kentucky has long had a commitment uh, to that level of collaboration and you know we've seen that play out here in this in this project excellent yeah i i can attest to the fact that the the kentucky state team that consortium has been strong and they've been with you through the whole grant um and i think it would be hard to pull off these activities without them so you've had five years of uh, activities. Uh, you've really had a varied focus um, for how you wanted to attack the problem. So after five years, really I'm wondering what are some of the key lessons that you've learned as a project? Uh, this can be, again, anything around the, uh, the, the collaboration side. It can be around the, uh, the user side, you know, specifically with students or families. But you know, and it don't don't feel like you have to limit it to one or two. Just what are some of the things that you have learned about systems change in youth employment uh, over the time? Well, I think that one of the primary lessons we've learned is that we really have to rethink how we've historically approached and engaged employers. Uh, historically, we've we've 
asked employers if they would be open to having a student with a disability work at their business. And that really hasn't produced the results that we envisioned. And to some degree, it, it's not allowed us to value employers as partners. So I think that's that's one major lesson we've learned. Yeah, I completely agree. That's been such a, um, I, I, you know, I, th I think it'll be a game changer for us in Kentucky as we continue to, um, you know, pursue that shift in, in the way we think about it, engaging employers and thinking a lot about, you know, what their particular needs are and um, learning more about who they are in the community and recognizing that, you know, we as um, schools and districts and communities really um, are a um, recruitment pool for those um, local businesses. So learning about them and, and, you know, as opposed to just kind of pitching them with, hey, do you have a job that you might be able to hire this person for, right? I mean, we'll get to that, but the relationship building around that that Jeff talked about is really important. And I think the aligning, you know, another lesson for us that we've been learning for many years and that this project has helped advance is how important it is that we align across similar efforts in our state, right? So, you know, um, there are lots of agencies and groups and organizations that are focused on this kind of thing and uh, or, or something similar. So, again, that notion of, you know, let's not just sort of approach this from um, an agency-specific only perspective, but in addition to that, how do we better align our efforts and, and frankly make it easier for students and families? One of the things we do, we don't like wake up in the morning and determine to do this, right? I mean, it's, it's not malintended, but, but we often make it really hard <laughs> across our states and agencies for uh, individuals and families to navigate our systems, right? So uh, I think we ought to be, you know, it's incumbent on us as leaders to figure out how we make it easier not harder. And when we align those efforts, I think we increase the potential for success in individuals' lives, and, and we certainly increase the potential for improving um, uh, workforce engagement, participation rate, and other things for all of our citizens across the state. Yeah, I think another lesson that we've learned is that for even those parents who have never in the past been able to visualize their son or daughter working in a competitive uh, job in the community, when you give them the opportunity to really brag on the skills that, that their son or daughter has and begin to give them the opportunity publicly or in a meeting to, to rethink uh, what their son or daughter might be capable of in the workplace, oftentimes you see a, a, just a palpable change uh, in the perspective of the parent uh, during that process. And that we saw that multiple times uh, through this process. Uh, and and it, it just giving those parents the opportunity to be proud of their son or daughter uh, has, has been uh, uh, just a game changer uh, for me anyway. I'm wondering, you know, just to deviate ever so slightly, if, if in the lessons learned section here, you would also be willing to point out maybe a, a main challenge. Over the course of five years, has anything really emerged as a tough issue um, that is going to require continued uh, attention for, for you guys? So one of the things I'd mention um, that will not be um, unique to Kentucky um, or unique to this project is, you know, it's again, both a challenge and opportunity, Sean. I mean, the challenge is to continue telling the story, right? And recognizing that, you know, this is not a story you just tell one time, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's an evolving story. It's a dynamic uh, story. There's, there are also new folks coming into the story, uh, uh, you know, in terms of individuals we're serving, but also in terms of agencies and organizations with whom we partner. So there are all sorts of reasons why it's really important that we continue to tell the story of our work and continue to tell it well, and to help others tell, tell the story also. So that notion of, you know, how do we continue to get better uh, about 
terms of disseminating resources we've created? How do we continue to get better in terms of connecting dots um, across other agencies and efforts in our state? Um, so I think that that immediately comes to mind. That is a is an ongoing challenge, but I think a great opportunity for us to continue to be really intentional in telling our story. I, I completely agree with with what Johnny said, and uh, I, again, uh, motivating folks uh, who are not ordinarily involved in the transition prospect to understand uh, process. Excuse me to understand that there's a role that their organization can play in this uh, ha has been an interesting process. Uh, and I think that to some degree, I think we need to allow the collaborative nature of what we're doing to mature uh, and folks to become more comfortable with, with their role as, as collaborators. Thank you for that. You know, uh, again, as, as the state liaison and, and watching five years of, Kentucky Works, I've been particularly impressed with your team and very impressed with the variety of uh, angles that you chose to attack this problem. You have an influence in so many things in the state uh, as a result of this grant. It's, it, you have done yeoman's work, um, but I'm wondering if you would like to point to or describe a few of the key successes that you are really proud of as a result of Kentucky Works? Well, well, I think that one thing that clearly has happened is we've raised the awareness that really we're getting the results we're getting because those, that is the, those are the results that our system is designed to get. Uh, and that if we want different results, we have to do something different. Uh, and, and that's a, a bit of a difficult uh, perspective for folks to understand, but we really have to look at where our system's working well and focus on how we maximize those efforts and look at ways that our system may not be focused, working quite as well and focus on what we need to do to improve the change. So I think that we've done a good job of that uh, and, and building that kind of, of perspective. Yeah, I completely agree. I would put a um, even a sort of finer point on that, and you know, this is um, the less filtered me. But you know, let's let's be honest. Here, these are not new outcomes that we're seeing in terms of uh, you know poorer outcomes than we envision for the people we serve, and frankly, poor outcomes than they envision for themselves. Right. So this is not new. This is an ongoing issue. We've got we got to tell the truth about the data. <laughs> We've got to recognize, as Jeff said, what are we doing that's working? Uh, what are we doing that's not? So uh, this, you know, I, I feel like this needs to lead us to a commitment, and it's a bit jarring to say out loud the first time, but, you know, we've got to care more about the preparation of students than we do the preservation of systems, right? So, that in no way means that systems are bad, right? Systems are good. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything in a system is bad. But when we continue to see the outcomes we're getting, and as Jeff said, we recognize we're getting them because we've designed the system to get exactly those results. If that's not what we want, we got to see what in the system isn't working. And, you know, we've got to, again, not just communicate, but demonstrate that we care more about preparing students than we do preserving systems. So we don't preserve systems for the sake of systems, right? We improve systems for the sake of those we serve. And that's what we're talking about here. And I think Jeff's right. There's been uh, an increased awareness across our state. And I think this project has certainly contributed positively to that, uh, that we've got to take an honest, we, we got to do some honest inventory uh, about what's working and have the courage to take on anything that's standing in the way of that. Yeah, and, and if, if I were to point at one specific outcome, I would say that you know, the focus that we've developed has led to acknowledgement by the governor and the legislature that improving opportunities for employment for Kentuckians with disabilities, and particularly those with significant disabilities, is worthy of their time, attention, and resources. 
Uh, and this is evidenced by the fact that uh, we have an employment first executive order uh, executed by two consecutive gubernatorial administrations of different parties. Uh, and it, it's also uh, another example would be the funding of the Human Development Institute's supported higher education program technical assistance center through two consecutive Commonwealth annual budgets. Uh, so I think that we've gotten the word to the decision makers and, and that there is support uh, for this perspective. Yeah, I would agree. And that, you know, all of that happened that Jeff talked about, you know, during the course of this project. So that gave us an opportunity, uh, along with a lot of others across the state and a lot of other partners. Uh, but it certainly gave us an opportunity um, in terms of our efforts through this project to help inform the development of two consecutive executive orders um, pointing to employment first and that notion of competitive integrated employment being the first and preferred option uh, for all citizens with disabilities who desire to become employed. So uh, I think I think that's been an incredible um, time for us to be doing this deep work that we're talking about today and that all happening sort of at the same time that deeper level investments are being made by state actors. Uh, it just, you know, in terms of the work we've been able to do for five years, but frankly, I think that also helps set us up for sustaining a lot of the improvements that we've seen over the course of this grant. Well, I could talk to you guys all day long about the successes of Kentucky Works all the way from employment first to championing inclusive higher education to the work that you've done around rural transportation to the training modules that you have on your website and the capacity building that you have done on the local level and the work that you've done specifically around providing information for families and self-advocates and so uh, congratulations to you both on um, five years very well spent and, and knowing Kentucky Works um, certainly this is not going to be the end of these efforts in the state of Kentucky. Um, so I really do appreciate you spending some time with us today. Well, thank you, Sean. And, uh, you know, on, on behalf of Jeff and on behalf of uh, HDI, you know, we're just incredibly grateful for the opportunity not only to have had um, this funding and uh, an opportunity that we've been discussing today, but to have, um, you know, the great technical assistance from the YES Center has been incredibly helpful to us and allowed us to, um, I think, do important work, but also build relationships for ongoing impact in years to come. Yeah, and along with that, also the opportunity to be part of something much larger. Uh, we're one of a number of Pi Grant states, uh, and it's great to be part of this movement. Uh, and and uh, we're, we're very honored and proud to have been selected. Part three. Massachusetts, Employment First Massachusetts Project. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Sean Roy, and I am a YES Center state liaison, and um, I have the pleasure today of speaking with um, David and Margaret from the Massachusetts Partnership uh, for Transition to Employment. So before we go any further, I would just like to have um, them introduce yourselves. So, Margaret. Thanks, Sean. I'm Margaret Van Gelder. I work as the statewide director of family and employment support at the Massachusetts Department of Developmental Services and have been the project lead for the Mass Partnership for Transition to Employment. And hi, I'm David Hoff with the Institute for Community Inclusion at UMass Boston. I have coordinated the technical assistance support um, for our Massachusetts project. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking specifically about uh, the Massachusetts uh, Partnership for Transition to Employment, which, um, you know, is a Partnerships for Employment grant, a federally funded systems change grant. So the first question that I have for you is, you know, even before the grant started and you saw the application as, as a group, what was the need in Massachusetts that led your team to really decide to apply for the grant? What were, what were some of the issues that you were seeing that you had uh, hoped to address through the project activities? 
So I can say from the perspective of the Department of Developmental Services, this was great timing because we had been working for many years on strategic efforts to really um, expand competitive integrated employment outcomes and specifically really focus on phasing out our sheltered workshop center-based work services. And back in 2013, uh, with the support of our commissioner and other leadership, we engaged in a very collaborative process with providers, families, self-advocates to really create a plan um, called our Blueprint for Success for employing adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Massachusetts that really laid out specific initiatives, goals, benchmarks over a five-year period. And one of those key goals was to phase out the use of sheltered workshop services within a period of time. So we were able to accomplish that um, by around June of 2016. And so it was really good timing for us to really think about how do we continue to expand opportunities for young people in particular and really thinking about how do we create new pathways for students who are gonna be exiting school for young adults to really hopefully build on um, career experiences they had at school, but really to start our services in very different ways that were going to really be a pathway or lead directly into competitive integrated employment. So it seemed like a good time to really partner with some of our other um, state agencies and with other providers and others throughout the state to think and to um, engage in more collaborative work to support those efforts. David? The thing I would add there is that I, obviously the critical importance of transition in terms of preparing young people for work, I think a recognition that obviously if young people um, with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities are have good strong transition services that are employment focused, the impact of that on their lives long term is going to be significant. So, and obviously that's the most important thing is it's going to positively impact both their lives and their families, but also the system as a whole in terms of starting to really shift the supports that are necessary for these young people as they become adults. So ultimately it's about obviously about the, both the individuals and sort of being part of a, of a systems change effort over the long term in line with um, the discontinuation of shelter work and emphasis on employment first in the state. Thank you. Um, one of the interesting aspects of these grants is that they call for a, a project cross-agency consortia or a state level kind of planning team to bring together stakeholders to guide project activities and 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 really spread you know spread the word and spread the influence i have had the privilege of sitting in on multiple uh t multiple meetings of your consortia and you've done a great job of recruiting cross-agency stakeholders including family groups including uh disability self-advocates and you've kept that group together through the life of the project which i think is admirable but in your words, what has been the role of the state consortia in the success of your project? Well, from my perspective, I think it's really been central. They've been such a catalyst, you know, and um, I think has sort of like captured a lot of energy that I think um, people brought to the table in terms of their commitment and engagement around transition enhancing opportunities specifically around employment and really then supporting you know what their adult how they're going to be supported as adults successfully and so i think the model we used where we had a larger consortium with lots of different representation of people at different levels you know people working in school systems educators people at the state agency level providers doing this work every day self-advocates family members um, lots of other just agency partners who are involved in different ways. We also invited and engaged all of those consortium members to participate in one of our work groups, which was focused around our four main focus areas of the grant, family engagement, self-advocacy and self-determination, work-based learning, and cross-systems collaboration. 
So I think people had the opportunity to engage in those work groups. They had an investment. They were shaping that work. They were doing the work. Um, and I think through the consortium, we created a model where we provided a lot of learning opportunities coupled with kind of best practice presentations with also a lot of time for sharing. And so I think people found there were just many benefits for being part of the consortium because they made new connections with colleagues across the state. They found out about new opportunities. They learned about new resources. They left with information. And I think what we heard from consortium members is that they, every meeting, they left with some new idea or some new resource, something that sparked something that they could apply to the work they did. So I think people's commitment and investment really was sustained because they really saw the benefits for themselves, plus they were shaping and engaged in activities that they saw some real value to that were part of the larger project. And I, I would add to that, um, that I think one of the lessons learned here in terms of collaboration is you need to give people something to collaborate on. I often feel like there's a lot of discussion about, well, we need to partner, we need to collaborate, but when people come together and work together on actual activities, whether that be creating curriculum or developing materials or doing analysis of policies or creating new policies, whatever that might be, whatever each of the work groups did, and they did a variety of things, I think when people get together and start to share input on that, that makes it, and, and do the things together. That's what really builds collaboration and relationships. And so I, I think that's 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 really important. I think also each of the work groups got support from ICI. And I don't I don't want to take too much credit, but I think the fact that we had a technical assistance support to help Absolutely. keep those work groups going, to help with the logistics, the Absolutely. agendas, um, et cetera, et cetera, was 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 really helpful. You need somebody who is going to help keep things moving. Um, and, and I think that the other thing that was just, I just found interesting, I think, yeah, the combination that we also, as any, like any collaboration partnership, I think Margaret hit the nail on the head. People have to join these things for sometimes for selfish reasons. I, what am I going to get out of this? It's not just about me, the greater cause, but what am I going to learn? How is this going to help me advance, um, as, you know, in my role, in my life, professionally, or whatever you might be, or your family member, or self-advocate, whatever your role might be? it's really important that there be benefit to them. And that I think we did a, a nice job of really also listening to people and creating an atmosphere where they were very much part of it. People we weren't talking at people, but they were very much part of the consortium and collaboration and the work we did. So, uh, and, I, and I actually it was interesting, and we talked about this in our more recent consortium meeting, uh, which was the final one as we wrapped up, there was a lot of things we did that were not a part of our original work plan and a little bit vice versa. Whereas once we got folks together and analyzed things, we said, oh, well, let's focus on this. Oh, this is an opportunity here. And obviously COVID you know, really stirred things up. So there was also flexibility there that well, it wasn't, oh, well, we have this work plan that we created when we applied for the grant or these were the initiatives. No, let's, let's take another look at this and let's go where the work groups want to guide us. So. Yeah, I think I would echo some of what David was just saying there too. I think there was a very dynamic nature to the role of the consortia and in influencing and shaping kind of project activities and directions. And I think that was important because I think it was relevant to what people felt was most important to do, that people had an investment in and that they were sort of listened to. So um I think that was a really powerful lesson for all of us, um, as well as part of this whole process. I would agree. I, you know, having been part of those types of things myself, as we all have been, you know, sometimes you go and you realize that you're just going to go and meet just to meet, or that we're a box to be checked if you're a, some kind of a steering committee or advisory committee. But, you know, your project did a really nice job of engaging your consortium. I think giving them value, as David was saying, that there was that we're here for a reason. Um, and I do think that the influence of ICI as a technical assistance thread to kind of manage those activities. Uh, was really a great model. 
Um, so what I want to get into now, the, the last two questions are kind of the lessons questions and then the one specific activity questions. So the Massachusetts Project has been uh, in existence and operating now for almost five years. And in that time, you have taken on numerous activities. Um, can you describe for me one lesson learned about improving employment outcomes in Massachusetts as a result of the project activities that you would point to? I think one lesson learned is that people really need information in ways that is user-friendly, um, that is accessible to them. We had a high level of involvement of family members and self-advocates, and I think we all learned a lot from their involvement. Uh, self-advocates, they were just wonderful, and they got we actually saw this evolution of engagement over the years, too, as they became more confident. And uh, so it's just, that's been, I just feel like that's a thing that systems often forget. We're really great at creating these massive policy documents and things like that, but at the end of the day, I'm a young person or an adult looking for services. I'm a family member looking for services for a family member. I need information that is accessible and that is helpful to me. I think the other thing, and again, it was an interesting little happy accident, but people also need places to come together. Um, and what I mean by happy accident, we created a Facebook page for family members. And frankly, I personally felt like, oh yeah, that'll get a little activity. You know, we'll probably have, you know, sort of typical of those things. Well, this thing has grown and grown. We have I mean, close to 2,000 members on this Facebook page, constant activity. It also taught a lesson that families are so need information and the chance to interact with one another and and share ideas and do it in a way that is really accessible. And I mean, the nice thing, frankly, about Facebook is that it's something that people, it's a universal thing. It's not like a separate message board or anything like that. So it may seem like a, a small thing, but the fact that it's a, a social media that they're already going to on a regular basis for many of them, um, being part of that group. But that was something that when it was proposed, I frankly was, okay, we'll see how this goes. Well, and then we also did a, you know, we, we, we curated that and helped and managed that so we could, you know, manage the conversation in there. Um, and that I also think that helped as well that we, su we supported that. So I think those are some of the lessons learned that I take away. And I think just to build on that a little bit, and, and maybe in some ways it was really sort of the central intent of these projects to begin with, is that you really do need all those voices and all those people at the table, you know, um, to really think about and hopefully make possible someday that the kind of opportunities and outcomes that we're looking for for students with disabilities are the same that would be for any student who's exiting school, right? But so you need, you know, the individuals themselves, their family members, educators, transition specialists, as well as people who work in the state agencies and systems, the role of providers, employers, you know, that it really does take this sort of a community kind of approach and that ultimately, you know, um, I think if we're really going to continue to accelerate, you know, opportunities and outcomes that it's really how everyone's engaged in both embracing <laughs> these expectations. I think it is about having higher expectations and I think that's been a theme throughout our project as well. And then creating those real life opportunities. Um, so I think likewise, ensuring that you have a real diversity of people around the table helping plan and think and support these efforts. I, I think, the, well, what a lesson I guess would say, and I think it's something that we did well in, in structuring this from the get-go is just having that diversity of entities involved. Uh, we, we sort of caught a little, a little bit of lightning in a bottle with this, but we just have such a diverse group of folks and I think that not just having the same old people at the table, also we welcome new folks. People would hear about the consortium and say, oh, can I be part of this? Sure, you know, if you're interested. And we got you know, several, well, several people kind of highly engaged who came in a little bit later. So I think that getting the, those cross-section of folks is to the table. And, and just, I feel like we also have had a nice combination of of people and personalities who are committed to this work. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other piece. I think we had sort of, it's not just having the diversity of people, but the right people, um, people who really believed in this and were really engaged. I mean, I, I have been personally, um, I know the, one of the work groups that I support 
have been amazed at the level of dedication of some of the members who have got, you know, full-time jobs and are really busy and yet have just spent hours and hours on, uh, on the work because they feel so passionate about it. So, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, you know, we had the final meeting of our cross systems collaboration work group and there were a few people there who replaced other people or who joined the consortium later, but, you know, they were sort of thanking us for the opportunity to be part of this. And we're also saying how they, it broadened their understanding of kind of how things relate to one another and the interconnections between some of the work. And, you know, this was one of the people, you know, was running kind of like an inter interagency transition team up in the area that she lived in with lots of different partners. But it just broadened her horizons and helped her understand some of the other resources out there and the potential connections um, as well. And so I think that's, you know, sort of another important lesson in understanding around kind of what made this sort of work. Excellent. Thank you. Well, the final um, final question that I have for you, you know, we the, the last question we asked you to reflect a little bit on the lessons uh, of the project and but what about some very specific project outcomes? So I'd like you to tell me what are one or two successful project outcomes that you would really like to, to have the rest of the world know about. So one of the areas I really think about is how we used um, this grant opportunity to introduce and then um, expand understanding and familiarity with the charting the life course framework and tools. Um, and I think both as sort of a way to really think about good person-centered family, you know, planning practices um, and ways to support people in thinking about what's really important to them in their life and how do we help them have those opportunities and achieve the outcomes they're looking for. I think we really use that as a way and wove that into lots of other things that we did. And so, you know, there, not only did we do a lot of training and sprinkle this around lots of different, with lots of different professionals and self-advocates and family members um, to provide some training, to encourage people to think about how they integrate and embed this in their own work, you know, created ambassadors, but we really use this then in other training opportunities and experiences and incorporated this in other um, kind of resource documents that were developed. So when I think about our statewide transition conferences that reach like three to 400 people, that framework, those life domains, the integrated start, all of that becomes a way to help people think about, you know, their life and what they want and how to do some planning during those transition years. I think about the um, curriculum that was developed, the Raising the Bars for Brighter Futures, you know, that really is, you know, a series of videos and exercises that integrates these tools to really help families develop those higher expectations for employment and to hear from other parents and to engage in some of that planning. And that hopefully is something others will continue to offer and that will be sustained. Or I think about, um, the summary of performance that is required for educators to complete for every student who's on an IEP as they exit school and the way that was revised um, with a lot of self-advocate input, but using sort of those life domains um, as a framework as well, so that student voice is there and it really takes that more holistic view of both what did the student accomplish while they're in school, but what are their goals and vision and what's gonna be important to support them in making that transition. So I think of, when I think about, you know, I don't know if it's an outcome per se, but a way that we really, you know, tapped into this and really used it in a variety of different ways to sort of influence thinking and hopefully change the conversation and kind of embed in different ways that might help people think differently about outcomes um, and what they want out of services or support. I'll just add to that. I think the, the summary performance uh, document that the project has, has worked on and Margaret was referring to is, 
this ability for to summarize for students to summarize their experiences and 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 bring that information with them again some of these things seem like little things but it's a huge thing because it's a huge issue with systems that the information is not shared and that the frankly and often not frankly it's often professionals who are summarizing this information so having the students and the young people themselves being part of that process but then having something that they can concretely use to share information i also just don't mind you know on a, on a, on a very concrete level talk about the work we the project has done in terms of an of analysis and building capacity for interagency groups at a local level um we did a uh, uh spent quite a bit of time and resources analyzing existing groups in Massachusetts at the local level in terms of interagency teams that existed. So we identified those that existed, uh, created a database that then now anybody can go and look at and find if there's a team in a local area. We've also done training on that in terms of, of you know, hopefully expanding the uh, not only the number of interagency teams that exist but also locally, but also the quality of them. So I think again, it's it's really key to um, a successful transition, just like we had our statewide consortium, having those local interagency groups and that meet regularly, that share ideas, that share information, that bring everybody, you know, get everybody on the same page is, is so important. So again, I use that as an example, something that a lot of time and resources mm -hmm. were put on um, that I think has been that will have a lot of long-term impact. I think another area, you know, um, that I think is important to emphasize too is just the sort of um, deeper and stronger kind of interagency relationships between like us, education, voc rehab, you know, the level of kind of conversation, joint work that we're engaged in that wouldn't have been, that wasn't happening prior to this grant, that since we've been working together so closely. So I think a little bit about you know, the work our Voc Rehab Agency was doing is they needed to redesign their pre-employment transition services and really was able to sort of tap into our consortium and then other members of it to sort of provide input, to sort of give feedback and to sort of help shape some of the directions that was headed in. Um, you know, the idea got sparked to really look at the development of an occupational um, or a workplace skills certificate. Um, and, you know, we have one diploma here in Massachusetts, and it's always been clear that that's all we will ever have, but that this might be an alternative way for students who aren't going to get a diploma to really be recognized for having certain, uh, meeting certain requirements about having, you know, a certain number of you know, work-based learning opportunities, getting assessed and evaluated on that, that really might serve as, you know, opening up doors with employers and other business opportunities. And so having the opportunity to be in front of associate commissioners at the Department of Elementary and Secondary Ed and sharing that kind of information, you know, and having support for those ideas, you know, um, I think are also really important outcomes. Excellent. Well, we've been speaking to Margaret Van Gelder and David Hoff, both from the Massachusetts Partnership on Transition to Employment. Um, over the last five years, the project has done truly incredible, inclusive work in the state of Massachusetts, and, and we thank them, and, and certainly they've been a pleasure to work with, too. You've been listening to Yes to Employment a podcast that seeks to improve competitive integrated employment outcomes for transition-aged youth and young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Today we spoke, sadly for the last time, with representatives from the District of Columbia, Kentucky, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Utah Partnerships in Employment Projects. For more about the PIE State Projects, visit, well, the YES Center at www.yestoemployment.org. For more about the Yes to Employment podcast, including show notes, links to the resources discussed, a complete transcript, and a schedule of episodes, visit www.yestoemployment.org slash podcast. You can subscribe through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app to have the series delivered automatically to your device so you never miss an episode. 
Yes to Employment is a production of the Youth Employment Solutions Center, the National Training and Technical Assistance Center that serves as a hub of information and expertise for the Partnerships in Employment, or PIE, state projects. The Yes Center is a collaboration of TASH and Transcend. You can learn more about TASH at TASH.org and more about Transcend at Transcend.org. That's T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N dot org. You can receive updates from the Yes Center on this podcast and our other activities by following us on Facebook or on Twitter at yes to employment Partnerships in Employment is a series of seed grants funded by the Administration for Community Living's Administration on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities, made to states for the purpose of transforming state disability support systems to competitive integrated employment. AIDD is dedicated to ensuring that individuals with developmental disabilities and their families are able to fully participate in and contribute to all aspects of community life in the United States and its territories. Music for Yes to Employment is an original composition and performance by Sonny Seferati, the co-director and autistic self-advocacy mentor at The Musical Autist. You can learn more about The Musical Autist at www.themusicalautist.org. Thank you.